This is an AMI podcast. Who in the world am I? Ah, that's the great puzzle. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm your host, Ramia Amuthan, and here with a quote right uh, at the start of the show was Lewis Carroll. You might recognize this one because it's from Alice in Wonderland. And it was a really, really nice watch because I didn't read it. Uh, But it was a really nice watch and really wonderful. And I know we said we were only going to feature quotes from children's books throughout August, but you know what? We squeezed in one more because though it is September, the start of September, uh, we're in Labor Day weekend now and everybody's celebrating and enjoying that last little bit of time off before school starts, before fiscal year starts for, for some of our adult friends. And just in general, you know, we're on the last leg of summer. So why not celebrate with one last weekend feeling like a kid? Now let's move to our our uh, SELA homepage. Let's take a glance at that. We have our featured titles at the very, very top. You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty by Akwiki Amizi. This is a contemporary romance. You can also read River of the Gods by Candace Millard. Adventures and Explorers. Check this one out. And the last title up there is All the Things We Don't Talk About by Amy Feltman. And this is Family Stories. Now, speaking of Labor Day, wanted to come to you, Nisreen. There's some of us who love enjoying a particular tradition during Labor Day. Maybe it's the CNE if you're in the GTA. CNE is a huge Labor Day fun fest, and that's down at the exhibition right near the water, Lake Ontario, Ontario Place area. And I, I mean, for us growing up, that was always a pretty big deal going to CNE over the Labor Day weekend because we get to get our back to school supplies and our back to school fits for that first day back. Um, but as I got older, it wasn't really a thing anymore. I mean, you could squeeze it in any time, but I still enjoy the vibe of CNE on that last Labor Day weekend. Nisreen, is that a thing for you? Did you guys grow up with CNE on Labor Day weekend or was there something else you enjoyed doing? To be honest, I've never been to the CNE before. No. Full stop? I swear to you, I've never been. Wow. And I I was talking to my friend that I, I really want to go this year before it closes. Yeah. I want to experience it. There's so many things I'm like reading about about the CNE and I, I just wanted to experience. But for Labor Day weekend, we, we kind of just chill and spend it with the family. Get together. Right. You know, it's our like last moment before it gets all hectic again. But yeah, so it, it's it's more of a laid back for us. That's a nice way to spend it, especially because it is that last weekend mm-hmm. before you you get into the school and everything else. Um, and you're like pretty recently out of school. So it, it's memorable yeah. right? that last weekend. Yeah. Um, I like that idea of it being more relaxed. But yeah, CNA has always been a staple. I'm I'm quite intrigued that you've never actually visited the CNA because you, you grew up in the GTA, right? I did. I did. Yeah. And there's there's yeah. just some things that I've never experienced as a Torontonian. Not happy about well, I mean, food building alone. <laughs> like even if you don't do the air show or all the other yeah. different things, um, the food building alone is the reason why I try to hit the CNE at least okay. once a year. 
So here's where I want to ask you a question. Um, when you go to the CNE, what's your go-to kind of snack to get? Because I've heard interesting things about their food. Tiny Toms. Yeah. No, uh, for me, it's Tiny Toms because I don't get it any other time of the year or any other place. Um, I know some people do the funnel cake, but that's more of a Wonderland thing for me. And man, it's been a long time since we went to Wonderland. Can you Side believe note. it's like $15? I... Yo, yeah. trust me. The, the prices alone is a reason why not to go. But anyways, <laughs> it's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, Tiny Tom's Donuts are an ab- absolute CNE. Like as soon as I go there, I feel like I'm already fantasizing about the smell of the donuts and mm. then I have to go search it. I can't wait to try those those yeah, types of so interesting, crazy foods at the CNE. Oh yeah, there's also other stuff like... You know, stuff that people don't want to eat. I don't know. But they try eat. if they're pretty. Like it doesn't yeah, sound appetizing, but they eat anyway nah. because it's the aesthetic. Exactly. The pickled ice cream challenge. I That's think what I was going to mention. I heard something pickled ice cream. Is that a, that was an actual thing? <laughs> that was a thing before the pandemic. The pickled ice cream was the rage. Like if you go and mm. you try it out, you have to brag about it. And so Brock Richardson, host of the Neutral Zone on AMI, uh, he did try a pickled ice cream. Ugh. I just don't know why. I don't know why he would have done that. Did he say yay ever... or nay? Nay. <laughs> if so, I don't I think mean, I've met anybody ever say yay, yay, yay But yeah, maybe online. Those guys are liars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, regardless, there's stuff to try if you just feel like being silly or adventurous yeah. or just crazy. But uh, if not, there's like actually good food too. Mm-hmm. You know? So anyway, awesomeness. Thank you so much. Maybe this year you'll get to go to see any. This is AMI Audiobook Review. If you want to give us your recommendations and or commentary on some of the things that we talk about on this podcast where we chat all things audiobooks, you can do that. one 509 4545 is how you can get a hold of us and leave us a voicemail. Feedback at AMI.ca is where you can send your email comments and inquiries. And you can also find us on Twitter at AMI Audio. I'm the host of the show, Ramia Amudin, here with Nasreen Abdelman. And it's time for us to talk a little bit of literary news and featured titles with our friends from the Center for Equitable Library Access. Karen McKay and Teresa Power are joining us to start off the month. And Teresa is the content and access librarian. Karen is the communications manager at SELA. And it's always a pleasure to start off the month with you guys. How's it going? We're great. Thanks. Good, good. So, Karen, let's start with that literary news I was talking about. Uh, Where do you want to get this going? Well, I'm sure folks will know this story because it's been in the news since it happened. So in mid-August, a man stabbed author Salman Rushdie. He was getting ready to uh, present at an event in New York. And he was rushed on stage by a man who stabbed him repeatedly, severely injuring him. Uh, he was rushed to hospital and, um, you know, he's been he's been doing better since. But really, it was a shocking, shocking event. So folks will probably know uh, Rushdie because his most famous novel, The Satanic Verses, has actually drawn uh, death threats from Iran's leaders in the 1980s. And it's been the center of all kinds of um, chaos and tragedy since it's been since it's been published. Um, the the situation's sort of 
come to a head, I think, with this particular event. And it actually has spawned other threats. Um, J.K. Rowling had some online threats that the police are, I believe, still investigating um, death threats against her just because of tweets she put out in support of Rushdie. Uh, so it's really mm. it's sort of emblematic of some of the challenges that we're facing in our society these days with regards to the, you know, the ability to have conversations that uh, you know, not all folks are, are willing to listen to people with, who have different views. So it's, you know, the, the Satanic Verses was a very controversial book. Um, 45 people were killed in riots following the publication of the book uh, in Rushdie's hometown in Mumbai. In 1991, the Japanese translator of the book was stabbed to death. Um, in 1993, the book's Norwegian publisher was shot three times. And actually, it's caused international um, issues as well. The United Kingdom and Iran broke off diplomatic relations over the book in 1989. So it's had a huge impact, and Rushdie's lived under death threats his whole life. Uh, so I think it's really it's an important book for us, or an important situation for us to talk about as book lovers, um, about the, the value of free speech, the importance of authors being able to, to write and express right. views. Um, yeah, I wanted to highlight three of his books. So one is The Satanic Versions, which p- folks are probably aware of. It's a story of um, two actors with Muslim backgrounds, and they're flying back from England, and their plane is hijacked, and it ends up exploding over the English Channel. And the the other folks on the plane die, but these two are magically saved as they fall to earth, these two characters. Uh, and then they have this sort of fantastical transformation. One of them takes on the person- personality of the archangel Gabriel, and the other is takes on the personality of the devil and they have to overcome these violent personal conflicts to survive the catastrophe. It's really, it's a tale of, of good and evil evil. And, um, you know, if you haven't read it, it's one of those cultural touchstones that I think, you know, people know about the book, even if they've, if they've never read it, but he was a celebrated author before that book was, was written his book in, um, called Midnight's Children, which was published in 1980, I believe won the 1981 Booker prize and it's a story about um, children born at midnight on the eve of, of India's independence were endowed with these special powers and these extraordinary uh, talents, really. And they are also all connected to one another. I think there's a thousand of them, of these children. And it's really, it's a loose allegory for events in the um, partition of India in 1947. Again, that was a controversial book, um, but it was it won not only the Booker, but the Booker of Bookers, which is a, an award that they give on anniversary dates. I think it's the 25th and the 40th. They So out of all of the Booker Prize winners, he won the, the best of those Bookers mm. twice. Yeah. So he's a really influential author. His most recent book is a book called Languages of Truth. Um, and they are essays written from 2003 to 2020. It's another one we have in our collection. And um, in one of the interviews he did in promoting this book, he, he quoted, he said, uh, so truth is a battle and maybe never more so than now, which I think is probably a fairly astute observation. So if you're not a fan of his fiction, you might appreciate his um, his essays and his criticism. He's a, he's a brilliant man. He's an incredibly gifted writer um, and also a very deep thinker. And so I don't, I don't think these are beach reads. Like this is not the kind of thing that you're going to go into lightly, but I think it's very important work, especially given what's happened to him in the last month. 
Yeah, and just overall, right, Karen, if if for people who um, may not even be familiar with him, I think it's just something uh, incredible to think about. You know, we, we talk about celebrities and the, the security and safety of celebrities all the time and just, you know, more recently thinking about like the royals and uh, and all that kind of stuff. But authors not necessarily top of mind, but when you think the kind of work people do when they put out uh, writing that they know is going to stir the pot, um, is going to be controversial, but that freedom of expression that you're you're discussing, it is, you know, a lot. It's a lot for people to be able to uh, sleep at night, I think, after um, putting out work like this. And especially in nowadays because everything's on social people's opinions are absolutely not filtered everything is out there all the time so you know quite literally um how dangerous it is and you're not just sitting there you know keeping your fingers crossed um you can tell you can scroll down and see how much hate if you will uh but just to how much expression there is in general about your work Absolutely. And we, I mean, we see that we can get into a long conversation here, but we see that with some of our journalists, right? Especially the female yep. journalists get a lot of this online. Well, you guys would know this sort of thing, right? Like they're, they're some of the attacks, the personal attacks um, against journalists who are reporting the news. And then, you know, we contrast that with, I mean, Rushdie was in hiding for, for decades, I think, for yeah. years at least, um, tr- you know, trying to survive the the call for his death by the, the government or the, the quasi government. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's frightening. It's amazing to me that he hasn't been injured before, given the, the depth of feeling around his, around his writing. But it's sad to me that, you know, this is where, this is where we are right now as a yeah. society. And that we always say the written word has power, but it, it shouldn't have you know, it shouldn't have deathly consequences, right? No. What you write shouldn't have deathly consequences. So, you know, sorry, it's not a super light topic to start with, but I think no. it's an important one, right? As as lovers yeah. of books and as readers, we need to be thinking about um, what we're reading and the, the people that are producing it and why it's important that they have the freedom to do that. Yeah, and I think you said it beautifully because we talk about the censorship of the books themselves, the content itself being available, um, but not always do we tap into and what happens with the authors, with the publishers, with the supporters. So um, really interesting. So thank you for bringing that up. Let's move to uh, our featured books from you guys. And we're talking about award winners from the fantasy genre today. So Karen, to kick things off on like the inspiration behind this, let's talk about the Aurora Awards. Yeah, so they were announced, the winners were announced for the Aurora Awards in mid-August, and they recognized the best Canadian science fiction and fantasy literature. Um, There are a long series, a number of categories. We're just going to talk about three of them today, but um, they've got, you know, there's graphic novels in the collection. There's all kinds of different kinds of books that are recognized under this this award. The finalists are nominated by members of the Canadian Science Fiction and Fantasy Association. It's a pretty prestigious award. Uh, And so we're going to talk about three today that were award winners. Okay, Teresa. So let's start with the first featured title, Jade Legacy. So it's a little bit difficult, I guess, to start talking about um, the third book in a series, which is what Jade Legacy is, but I mean, that's totally okay. Um, It's the third book in an epic fantasy trilogy called The Green Bone Saga. And the trilogy follows 
the intergenerational conflicts of rival clans, which possess supernatural abilities, and they are vying for dominance in a Hong Kong-inspired imaginary island. Uh, the series has an immersive East Asian setting that combines a lot of really great things, political intrigue, mafia-style family drama, and martial arts-fueled action sequences. And this is a, a sweeping story. It really truly is a saga about family, about loyalty, honor, and sacrifice. So in Jade Legacy, the third book here, we see this continuation of conflict that has happened in the first two books over this magical jade. And I guess I'm kind of spoiling it here for people. Cover your ears if you don't want to hear the spoiler, but we we now know in this third book that um, the jade is magical and this is what is giving people supernatural abilities. So this book starts a year after the events of the Jade War, which was the second book in the series. And the book spans more than 20 years. Um, and we also see um, a real shift in this book as well. Uh, the older generation, the, the ones that really have been fueling the conflict in the first two books, is starting to slow down. Um, they're starting to retire. Mm. They're starting to die. And we see this younger generation um, coming, uh, coming up um, in this book and really looking for a way to end this conflict that's been happening over generations um, really once and for all. So like quite, um, quite a shift in, in this book. So I think that this book will really appeal to people who are into plot-driven stories, you know, large cast of characters, lots of world building. Think like the, the easiest things that come to, to my mind are, you know, like the Lord of the Rings that has a huge cast of characters and tons of world building and, you know, different made up languages. Um, or even like Game of Thrones, you know, same thing, large cast of characters, lots of world building. Um, you know, you have to want to keep up with all those different characters and all those different places. and. Um, you know, all the different plots, subplots that are, are happening within the book. So I think that if you like books like that, real sagas, um, you'll really enjoy this, um, this trilogy by Fonda Lee. And is this typical for a book by Fonda Lee? So I read one book by her called Exo, and it was a YA book. And I read it a number of years ago. And I, I would say um, it was the first book, um, I believe, in a series as well. And the same sort of elements, but for but for like a YA audience, but I would even argue that adults, I, and as an adult, I read it and I was really blown away by it. Um, I see the same elements here. Um, this saga, this world building, um, not so much like a, a, the, a, the hugest cast of characters, I would say in comparison to like the Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. Um, but you definitely um, get this sense of like, this this big world um, 
and she made up like all of this all of um that the components of that and um it's definitely a fantasy book that involves action and involves war and involves um aliens as well wow yeah so definitely it encompasses uh elements of fantasy that people yeah, are absolutely. pretty much already familiar yeah with. absolutely i don't know if um I'm sure there are YA sagas. There have to be. I certainly have read a lot of YA books myself. Um, I don't know if sagas are typically left for the adult audience, but I mean, there's definitely mm. there's definitely elements um, from EXO that I that I see here in, in these books as well. Mm-hmm. Karen, uh, how about the annual migration of clouds? Yeah, so this book is written by Premi Mohammed. She's an Indo-Caribbean scientist and speculative fiction author based in Edmonton, Alberta. And she has an undergraduate degree in molecular genetics and environmental science. So she knows, you know, the science fiction, uh, mm-hmm. the science behind the science fiction. She's pretty solid there. So this book actually won for the novella category, and it's set in Alberta. It's a post-apocalyptic uh, book. Climate disasters have wreaked havoc on the continent. There's food shortages industry has ceased all the infrastructure the electricity and water all of that has sort of crumbled and there's you know there's very little for folks to to rely on many people are also affected by this disease called which is the short form is called cad cad and it's this mysterious mind altering fungus that invades and has a symbiotic relationship with its host so that so much so that it will actually protect the host from danger so the book's kind of out there the main character is a young woman her name is reed and she carries this parasite she sort of unexpectedly gets accepted to a university and the university has been bubbled. So it's sort of encased and it's been protected from these environmental disasters. It's one of the last remnants of pre-disaster society left on earth. So she gets an offer to go away to university, but she can't, she's trying to navigate. Can she leave her mother and her community that rely on her? Is it fair for them fair for her to to go fair to them for her to go she has these skills and there she has roles in the community and leaving means potential harm or hampering for the rest of the group and so that kind of raises a very interesting question in the book can you do something for yourself when your community depends on everyone for survival so this is the basis for the story it becomes an exploration of survival and friendship of memory and regret and of fear of the unknown you know, of the potential danger that that Reed might face if she leaves this community and has to travel a few days in order to get to the university. It paints a pretty bleak picture of what climate change and environmental disasters could eventually bring. But it's also, mm. I think, a portrait of sort of human determination to survive and to grow uh, and to to maintain those community connections. It's beautifully written. It's very character driven. It's not a lot of sort of um, heavy action. It's more sort of a cerebral kind of book. It's definitely going to make you think about climate change, about your connection to your community. Um, it's a short one. It's just a novella. Uh, but I think it's it's one of the ones that definitely folks will want to pick up if they like science fiction and fantasy. It's a great, great book. Yeah. And as you say, because it's very highly... Um character driven it makes sense because you're asking yourself these ethical questions which i'm sure the the parallels the character uh journey as well right like exactly yeah moral compass test it's a very interesting way to um to delve into some of these questions not only about climate change but also about you know just the nature of human nature of fear of connection Mm. 
Um, so yeah, I think it's it's well worth picking this one up. So we can get to one more featured title, Teresa. Let's talk about Iron Widow. So Iron Widow is an Asian influenced fantasy book. It's filled with lots of action and world building. It's marketed towards an older YA readers. So think like, you know, you're 10, 11, 12 year olds. So like 16 to 18 year olds. Um, because I think the complexity in the story and also in the writing. But I definitely think that there's adult crossover potential here. Um, it would be enjoyed by both audiences. So the book follows a young Zishin who is avenging her sister's death after the sister is killed in an air battle um, against aliens. And by avenging her sister's death, she becomes what they call an iron widow, a much feared kind of female pilot. I think if you enjoyed the series Crown of Feathers, which is a, um, a more recent uh, series of books by Nikki Pau Preto, or even, you know, like Ender's Game, an oldie but a goodie by um, Orson mm -hmm. Scott Card, uh, you might enjoy also picking up um, Iron Widow as well. That's awesome. I'm so excited. Um, this is a really great feature uh, to, to kick off September for people who want to check out some fantasy, some science fiction. And um, I love the explanations, too, for why we pick these books or, you know, what they offer. If you're not totally into fantasy yet, I think there's still some appeal. You guys, thank you so much for joining us at the, today, but also at the start of every month to kind of kick things off. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you in October. Have a great month. Thanks so much for having us. Karen McKay and Teresa Power of the Center for Equitable Library Access joining us. We talked a little literary news and featured titles from the award, uh, the Aurora Awards. That's it for today's episode and this week's episode of AMI Audiobook Review. Until next week, happy audiobook listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.